0: You're listening to a sermon from crckuleman.org.
1: Many of them are still alive. Jethro said, Go, and I wish you well. Now the Lord had said to Moses in Midian, Go back to Egypt, for all the men who wanted to kill you are dead. So Moses took his wife and sons, put them on a donkey, and started back to Egypt. And he took the staff of God in his hand. The Lord said to Moses, When you return to Egypt, see that you perform performed before Pharaoh all the wonders I have given you the power to do. But I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Then say to Pharaoh, This is what the Lord says, Israel is my firstborn son, and I told you, Let my son go, so he may worship me, but you refuse to let him go, so I will kill your firstborn son. At a lodging place on the way, the Lord met Moses and was about to kill him. But Zipporah took a flint knife, cut off her son's foreskin, and touched Moses' feet with it. Surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me, she said. So the Lord let him alone. At that time she said, bridegroom of blood, referring to
0: circumcision. A little bit like dodging death. We'll go through some of these verses. But um, I liked what Benita shared when she talked about infants being on milk and uh, then taking on more responsibility and, and just taking that from what she said and applying that to Moses. We can almost uh, see Moses as being an infant in regards to God, even though God's just started talking to him. But let's see how that comes through and works out. If anyone ever really had a reason to look over his shoulder as if there might be something scary coming, it might be Moses on the basis of that. Twice in his life already, he's faced death. Once when he was a remember, and execution was ordered for all these children. And he was put out to float on the river and he was found he was rescued. Uh, instead of getting a chop from the Egyptian... Uh, security responsible for getting rid of the babies. Second time was after he killed, I guess, a slave driver. And he had to run for his life because Pharaoh was out to get him on that second occasion. Here, the Lord's about to kill him. As I said, if anyone had, you know, reason to look over his shoulder and wonder what was coming next, it might be Moses. What do we know from what we heard there? There was an issue and God was going to act even if he set up Moses to do something that we've been hearing about in recent weeks. That was going to be about the deliverance of God's people from Egypt. But there was an issue and God was going to act in a way we didn't expect just then by killing Moses. Does that freak you out just a little bit? Does that sound like the God we know? Well, there was an issue. He was going to act. I wonder, had he decided that I'm over this guy, I need someone else? His fear, just that thing that's going on in him, is it's just not going to work out. Is that, is that how we might think? You know, we're trying to imagine God's mind here. Did Moses maybe overstep the mark? He was told to go by himself with his brother, Aaron. told you I'd mention you, Aaron. And the staff, did he overstep in some way? Because God might not have mentioned that this was something for all of Moses' family to go along and engage with. A family trip. Verses 19 to 20. The Lord had said to Moses and Midian, go back to Egypt for all those who wanted to kill you were dead. So Moses took his wife and sons, put them on a donkey and started back to Egypt. And he took the staff of God in his hand. I wonder if he's on a mission for God. Feel free to wonder. Lots of people actually argue about these verses and what was going on. The Jews argued about it. Christian commentators have even had discussions. What's it all about? But we'll throw up some possibilities and, and, and come to your own mind. He's packed up his family. I wonder if love for his family might be an obstacle if he's going into something like this. I wonder if they could be an obstacle. There's some situations we wouldn't want to take our families into? Because blood's well, pretty thick, isn't it? And given situations... We can respond in all sorts of ways. Sometimes strength that we didn't see we had in terms of standing up for our family. But I wonder if family, love for family, might prove to be an obstacle. Because in 21 to 23, the Lord has said to Moses, When you return to Egypt, see that you do this stuff in front of Pharaoh, the wonders, but I'll harden his heart. Moses has got a family, he's just heard God say, I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart. And he's thinking, oh, do I really want to go do this? He's thinking his family's a whole unit. We're going, hmm. I'll harden his heart. That could be a threat to Moses' family. I wonder if that fear begins to spring up. Even though he's going with his family, I wonder if fear already starts to spring up whether he might even shrink back from that task that God's given him to do. Here's another thought. What happens if Moses goes to Egypt? He's representing Israel, God's people, with an uncircumcised son, born to a Midianite woman, not someone from his own people, an uncircumcised son, and he's going to represent... Israel, the Lord's firstborn son. That might be a bit closer to where we're going. I think there's probably, if we're going to look at something, that's going to be close to what the Bible's about. Would his son die with the Egyptians? by Had Moses by not circumcising his own son, if he continues and takes him with, with him, Is this a, a bit of a commentary on Here you Moses? You're one of God's people, yet you haven't set a mark on your son to bring him in to the fellowship of God's chosen people, of his family. Is Zipporah, the wife, is she knocked down with this circumcision stuff? Is she unhappy about the whole issue? If they talked about this already. Because Moses, he grew up with his mum in the first while, did So he would have been circumcised. He was living for that initial period amongst the people of Israel. But Zipporah is a Midianite. She's not a Hebrew or an Israelite. What's this all about? What do you mean I've got to cut this? And so did Moses maybe back down from an argument or a discussion? On the other hand, if she was upset about, you know, that cut being made, what about Jethro? I wonder where the Midianites stood as pagans who made sacrifices to other than one true God. Maybe they came from a different space altogether. Maybe for them it was maybe about sacrificing children themselves. And so maybe, remember Moses, this is uncharted territory. He's been living with an idolatrous priest who's not from the people of God and his family. And other than the earliest days, he's been raised in an Egyptian household, hasn't he? And we know that's not worshipping the. True God, and so his his faith and his knowledge of God could have been very different. He might have, as I said, been that infant. Is he fearful of his father-in-law? Would circumcising be doing something that's contrary to his father-in-law's purposes? Because we read in verse eighteen that seemed to get on quite well with Jethro. In verse 18, Jethro, when Moses said, look, I'm going back to Egypt, he said, go on, I wish you well. They got on okay. A good relationship with an animal is always good to have. But with all the speculation about the causes, in terms of why he hadn't circumcised, the the thing we can be really confident about is that Zipporah gets on with it and she does what Moses should have done. She does a circumcision. No, no. And because of that, because of her, Moses isn't killed. And he plays his part. Every Israelite born in Egypt comes out and is delivered in. You know, God's faithfulness to his chosen people. I'm getting ahead of myself. Obviously, this is a few chapters in advance of where we are. But Moses isn't killed. I'm not going to spend all my time trying to get to that bit that people argue about. Is Who's this God that kills people? I mean, people in the past have said, look, the God of the Old Testament can't possibly be the God of the New Testament, they must be two different gods or two different halves of God, almost. That's the sort of argument they get into. I'm not going to touch that because God was going to kill Moses, but he didn't. Whatever it's hinging on, interestingly, and it, it doesn't show up in these verses, but Zipporah and the sons don't actually finish the trip to Egypt. I might mention them again later. Who would Zipporah be today? If she was someone we knew, if this was happening amongst a group of people that we knew, what would she look like today? Well, she's not going to be probably someone who's gone to church all her life. We've heard the background of her father, Jethro. who was an idolatrous priest. We can see perhaps that Moses hasn't been giving leadership in the sense of who he knows God to, be, according to the faith of his fathers. But yet with the little she knows, she does something about it, does the required thing and saves Moses' life. If we're in the story, who might we be? Are we ever a Moses? You know, we're kind of racked by fear, held back from doing things perhaps that we feel should, we should do or perhaps God has suggested to us that we should do. We're slow to be obedient in the things required of us and we skip past a few necessary things. As Benita shared, we don't take on the responsibility the requirements. Perhaps we consume those things that get us off track. We allow our minds to take us places other than where God wants us. I don't know that we want to be the Moses of exactly that period. It's probably great to be more like Zipporah and act in faith. Act with what's required for the time, even without her... Even with her lack of knowledge. Doing what's there to be done with mucking around. and not like Moses who's spent the past chapter or two protesting about how he can't do what God wants him to do even though God says, I'll be with you. Even though God says, I'll send your brother with you. He makes his protests. No protest from Zipporah at all. She just doesn't. And thanks to her... Moses is set free to actually get engaged with the plan that God had all along. And not just her, her family even. It seems fairly strongly are set free to know God in the same way. I've hinted at that once, how they didn't finish the trip. Now, something else has happened. It's going to be a blessing to her and her family, and I'll come to back to that later as well. You and I have exactly that same grace afforded us by God. That same grace that Zipporah had to just do it without having dressed the right way, without having prayed the right way, without having done all those sorts of things. That's the grace God extends to us. Just knowing that something's the right thing to do now, or in a certain circumstance, without time to think. From this point, Moses' knowledge of God starts to increase and the next few chapters after this we see it even affects the tone of his conversations with God he's not the same scaredy cat after this particular incident and not just that there's something that is told to us about how much God regards Moses himself we read elsewhere in the word that the growth in Moses' understanding of God's heart just echoes down the years. By the time we get to Jeremiah, Jeremiah's a prophet, he's writing about probably a harsh message to the same people of God who are wandering away again. Here's a glimpse of the esteem that God holds Moses in. This is in Jeremiah 15. Then the Lord said to me, Even if Moses and Samuel were to stand before me, my heart would go out to these people. Send them away from my presence. Let them go. Even if Moses... Isn't that regard for Moses? God sees him as having something special. years later, evidence that God takes his words into account on serious matters. So a transformation has occurred. And the zipper standing up in that vital moment. He in turn starts to do the same sort of thing. He becomes someone as the chapters unfold in Exodus who intercedes for other people, who acts and stands in the gap just as his wife Zipporah did. Look at what happens. I don't know how many weeks it'll be before we get to chapter 32, but look at what happens when Israel gets out of line when he's up Mount Sinai getting the Ten Commandments. The Lord tells him to get back down the mountain because the people he's later brought out of Egypt become corrupt. He says, you know, they've made a calf. Moses, you've got to get down there. I've seen these people, he's going on, God. And he says, I stiff-necked, leave me alone, Moses, so my anger can burn against them and I can destroy them. Then I'll make you, Moses, into a great nation. Check Moses' response. He sought the favour of the Lord his God. Lord, he said, why should your anger burn against your people whom you've thought out of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? He says, you don't want to give them a bad name anymore. In the eyes of the Egyptians. But he says, Turn from your fierce anger, relent. Don't bring disaster on them. And he talks about Abraham's promise, saying, Hey, these are the people you said you're going to make so numerous. That promise has got to stand, Lord. And what did the Lord do? He relented. And he didn't bring on his people the disaster he threatened. Later, Moses has got to the foot of the mount by this time. He's seen what the people are doing. He tells them they've done a great sin. He says, but look, maybe maybe, maybe we've got something. I'm going to go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. He goes to the Lord. He says, oh, what a great sin these people have committed. They've made themselves gods of gold. But now please forgive their sin. But if not, then blot me out of the book you've written. See what's happened? See how he's standing up now. Look at Zippa, the way she stood up. Look at how Moses is standing up now. In Psalm 106, it's talking about these same people and how they forgot God. And it memorializes Moses. It says, so he said he'd destroy them. Had not Moses, his chosen one, stood in the breach before him to keep his wrath from destroying them. Moses points forward even further ahead to Jesus and says, God's going to raise up a prophet like me from your own people. His knowledge of God opened, his mind opened, he responded with something different. And that's a lesson for us, is the trajectory. From where Moses begins in fear, reluctant to go on this mission for God. From orientation to his own needs, to taking on those of others. And just to think that God might have killed him, but for the outsider. But for the person who wasn't from God's people, but for Zipporah. What can we learn about God there? Just reading between those lines. something about loving others or acting for others. There's mercy in God's acts that direct us. God relented, didn't kill Moses on Zippor's behalf. Moses, accordingly, just to restate, saved from death, then goes on to stand by Other people and offer himself for destruction. Go ahead, Jesus. What does Jesus do? He goes further and demonstrates love for the world, not just by offering himself, he completely gives himself. There's something godly in the actions of all these people, and obviously, perfectly in Jesus. And we see something about what God's values system is about how it's standing up for, how it's giving for, and seeing others with eyes of mercy. So, Moses, a physically circumcised person, as he was as a kid, he's showing more signs of of a different circumcision. It's like his heart is now marked by God, by that experience with God, through what happened with Zipporah. It took it from a physical thing to a new place. I've tried to imagine what was going on in Zipporah's mind. I even asked Cindy, what would you have been thinking if if you were there as this was happening? Ah, that idiot. (laughs) Now I've got to get him out of this. If I were Moses and she was Zipporah, I can't imagine what's going on in her mind. Cindy actually didn't give me any answers, particularly. So um, should the circumstance ever come up, it's going to be as much a surprise for me as anyone else. But look at the outcomes for her family. Beyond Moses. The circumcision of the son. Well, that's a done deal. What she's done for her own son now gives him a visible sign of, being a member of God's people. He's got that distinct mark that separates him from all the other peoples around. He's a member of God's people by that circumcision mark. Like I said, Zipporah didn't make the rest of the trip to Egypt. The whole family didn't go in the end. They go back to Jethro and Jethro becomes a convert. Really? Really? In Exodus 18, if we get there in this series, but if you want to go home and look it up, we see that he begins worshipping the living God on the basis of what he's seen him do for Israel, God's people. And, and that really, in a nutshell, is God's plan for the world in Jesus, isn't it? Look at what the Bible is recorded. Look what the Word shouts out. That God will demonstrate his presence with a people and then join other peoples to it. Now, the Jew Gentile thing we understand more fully after Jesus' return to the Father, as the apostles go out, as Paul becomes a you know an ambassador to the Gentiles and brings them in to join God's chosen people. But he is a forerunner, if you like. An idolatrous priest begins worshipping God. It's a sign of good things to come. Moses' sin was revealed, wasn't it? The fear, whether it was fear of his family that he didn't circumcise. Fear of Pharaoh not wanting to go and face something difficult. But someone acted for him. And our sin is exposed, isn't it? Beginning of John, I think it, is, it talks about people not wanting to come out into the light unless their deeds be exposed. Our sins exposed to God to see, but Jesus has acted for us. And our hearts are marked in accordance. And that's, the, that's the, the grand overview. That's the biggest picture. In the smaller picture, which is still part of the bigger picture, let's look at a corner of it. It's about our living with the people around us. Which people do you owe? Which people do I owe? thanks to for stepping in for us, for you, for me on our account at different moments who's prayed for us who's checked us just as we're about to do something who's picked us up on a form, who's stepped in for us in a positive sense do we have opportunity to deflect punishment or negative outcomes for someone that might destroy their confidence When someone's being perhaps set upon with words do we have opportunity to deliver people from things that would harm? them could we reframe the value of someone else just with a wise word God loves you actually no you're better than this Oh, you're forgiven. Forget that. Can we reframe it? people's own sense how dear they are to God? And we can remind ourselves really of Jesus who's the one that intercedes with us, intercedes for us with the Father in heaven. And, And to flesh that out a little bit, look at the relationship. It's not picture of God as, as the punisher, go back to that picture of God being set to kill Moses, God makes us think harder because start to look at it in terms of the relationship of a loving Father who sends his Son into the world not to condemn it, but to save it. Think of John 3.16. John 3.16. That whoever believes in him shall have eternal life. See how God messes with our minds a bit? See, see how long this story is from Genesis to Revelation in our Bibles? He takes us on such an amazing journey to unlock our understanding of God. We begin with a with a view of, yes, God's the one who kills and punishes according to what we've done wrong. And where do we end? As our picture of God changes, transformation was the mark. One person steps in, Moses becomes a different guy. He acts in a completely different way. And that's the effect that we can see in our own lives transformation, as the Holy Spirit gets about changing us as he gets about taking us from infancy into people who are on is completing the purposes and the jobs that he's prepared in advance for us to do. We get to move away from being a runaway like Moses to standing in the gap for others. That standing in the gap, maybe we've heard it in churches over the years. It's good to add something back to it. To, to take it back to the Bible and the things that that expression sort of rose from. Zebra standing in a gap for Moses, doing something that saves his life and enables God to continue um, with the plan he always had. And yet does the work that needs to be done in Moses. Moses standing in the gap for the people that he's just about to start leading. That's the sort of change I'd like to see in me, I think. Not because I want however many million people taking responsibility. Does anyone want that? Is that a logical sort of thing to say, I'm with Moses, I understand. I understand the fear. What a dramatic shift. He couldn't imagine it, nor can we imagine. Nor can we imagine what God wants us to be engaging in. We just simply need to know. We don't need to know it all. But as the thing is here to do, we'll do it. If it's the opportunity to show compassion, mercy, kindness, well we just do it. we don't have to know all the ins and outs. This is what God is. Like.